0: Welcome! Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, and if you didn't see on Twitter or on some other social media site, this podcast's name has changed. Uh, We're a year old now, which is kind of crazy. I started the year after Thanksgiving last year with the Hammer Time podcast. It's been an amazing year. I repeated some of my favorite episodes out um, throughout the past week, and I encourage everyone to listen to... All the episodes that we put together, we've done so many amazing ones. Uh, there are more than I was even able to tweet out. Um, go to SoundCloud, go to iTunes, check them out. But anyway, with the new year, I decided that I was going to do a slight rebrand and a little bit of a change. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is now the Football and More podcast. And every week we'll talk about football and more, because that's really what we talk about anyway. We had three sections, we didn't often get to all three of the sections, so we're just going to consolidate the latter two sections under the third, under the second section, or whatever. It'll just make life a lot easier. And I'm really excited, all the guests that we're going to be having on, new guests, old guests, uh, but this first guest is someone who just does a lot of things. And we're going to talk about how he has time to do all those things, but he is someone who is an actor, he works for Pro Focus, he does video game stuff, he really is a jack-of-all-trades. Uh We have Andrew Fleischer with us, and before I get too far into it, I want to wish you, I, I hear you had a happy birthday last night.
1: I did, and thank you very much. I had a milestone big four zero. so so... Uh... Yeah, it, was a, it was
0: a good time. And before I get too far into it, I want to, uh, also give Andrew a plug for a second because he just released a web series called Jeff's Place, which I watched and it was very funny and slightly disturbing. Uh, do you want to quickly <laughs> explain what that show was just for the people from the front?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, it's a six part web series and we were kind of aiming for the definite, uh, you know, uh, Tim and Eric meets Mr. Rogers' uh, strangeness. Uh, I did it with a couple of really close uh, friends of mine who uh, I was in uh, grad school with, actually, uh, uh, Jeff Galper and Sky Soleil. Uh, and, yeah, we, it kind of came together uh, from something that was absolutely not going to be what ended up being Jeff's place. Like, we we had written this very... Uh, specific and complicated script about like a dad who was dying and brothers coming into some kind of inheritance, and it was way overly complicated. And uh, ended up ha- one night kind of having this aha moment where we realized, hey, what we really like doing is comedy stuff and kind of like sketch related stuff, but we don't want to do sketch. So if we did something that maybe had a little more depth to it that was kind of like a shorter. Uh, web series to start out with and, and kind of took off from there but it, it was a ton of fun and we're pretty, pretty proud of the final result after everything
0: yeah I recommend that you give it a watch um, you can just google Jeff's Place and it's on the internet you can find it that,
1: jeffsplaceshow.com is the kind of where we compiled everything
0: together as well jeffsplaceshow.com and we'll, we're going to get into that later but we're going to start with football because the podcast's first word is football so we should probably start with that and Good place. you've done a lot of football stuff on Pro Football Focus, but before we get into that, uh, I guess, how did you become a fan in the first place?
1: Well, uh, I grew up in uh, Massachusetts, uh small town called Dover, uh, and I it's funny, when I was a, a younger, I was generally a, not much of a sports fan, I was kind of a skateboarding punk, and... Uh, wasn't really my thing, and it took me leaving Massachusetts uh, specifically for New York uh, and working at a bar in New York when I first uh, when I first made that big move, and uh, just having all the New York fans find out that I was from Boston, talk all kinds of smack, and my kind of offhanded fandom become became diehard fandom because I had to come back with the you know good good responses to the to the smack talk I was getting from people, so. Uh, <laughs> That was really the birth of it way back in like, uh, that, that was like ninety ninety nine 99 was really when it all came together. And I, uh, yeah, was, I would say I'm fairly lucky to have been from the place that the Patriots happened to play because, man, as you know, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a decades plus of kind of unprecedented success there. And that's, uh, you know, even if you were throwing a dart at a team to root for, it would be hard to, to luck out to that
0: degree. In 1999 was a pretty good time to come aboard. That was right before they ended up winning, so you could say that you liked them before they were good. But you only had to like them for two years before they were good.
1: Exactly, and not obviously coming from Boston, I was always like a supporter, but just not you know not heavily uh, involved. And uh, yeah, I actually did remember went went to my buddy's uh, uh, high school dorm uh, to watch the uh, the 98, uh, I believe it's 98 Super Bowl. the – Green Bay?
0: 96.
1: 96, wow, yeah. That's that's not even close to correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I was like, that kind of like, I'm from Boston, so I'm a fan as opposed to like, I know what what the heck I'm talking about, fan. And uh, ironically, so 2001 was when uh, I was in New York after college. Oh, I went to college in Minnesota uh, for no... Really good reason. McAllister College was a fantastic experience, but apparently cold was not enough for me on the East Coast, so I needed some more. <laughs> but uh, but I went to grad school in 2001 in San Francisco at the American Conservatory Theater, and this sounds like it's not football related, but it is because uh, one of my classmates it uh, was also a football fan and got me in my first uh, fantasy football league in 2001, uh, and. Pretty much, I was addicted from the get-go. Within that season, I, you know, I was obsessed—not just with the Patriots, but with football as a whole—from a totally different perspective. Um, you know, as, as I'm sure you know that that there's something to following your team and having a rooting interest. But when you have the perspective of of uh, seeing the the whole scope of the talent around the league, it, I think it gives you a deeper Appreciation for who's on your team, uh, whatever the team is that you you know that you really support. But I, it, it's just fascinating because you know I just remember thinking Antoine Smith was greatest running back ever, and then after starting fantasy, I was like, no, no, he's really he had a good season, but uh, you know it's all uh, it's all about the comparison to the talent around the league. So that was kind of my first uh, you know foray into into really becoming obsessed with football.
0: <laughs> uh, that sounds cool. So was Anton Smith one of your favorite first players to that, that you sort of latched on to, or who were your favorite players when you first started getting really, really into fantasy football?
1: Um, well, it's funny because, you know, I would, I, I would, from the beginning, uh, way back when, I, I, was, I think it was like Matthew Berry was my go-to because obviously he was like such a, a loud voice in the, what was then a smaller fantasy community. Uh, but always being, you know, like, don't, don't over, overdraft the players for your own team. Don't be that homer. So, uh, you know, I always felt like, uh, I would always try and get a Patriot on my team, but I would always be very conscious of not shooting myself in the foot by overdrafting. Uh, and so, so early on, I had a pretty, I, I remember, uh, Justin McCarron's randomly was one of my, uh, one of my go-to guys for a couple of years there, uh, which is funny because, you know, he, he himself had a few good years, but never quite, I always thought, you know, even when he moved teams at that one point, I was like, oh, he'll be great. And this just, just never quite got there. Um, and, uh, yeah, of course, uh, you know, the timing of 2001 being my first fantasy year as well, it was, uh. Uh, Dion Branch was always around there, uh, uh, and Brady. You know, at that point, wasn't quite the quarterback anybody was going for because they had no idea what was coming. But, uh, but yeah, it's it, it, it's it's uh, it's funny at uh, seeing some of the names of the players out there that uh, you know that you haven't heard from years that you know from having on one of your fantasy teams. You know, fifteen years ago, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that guy.
0: Yeah, it's it's really funny to think back. back- about that, I had not thought about Justin McCarrins in at least ten years, so exactly. <laughs> that's kind of crazy to think about. Um, he was on, the, I think he was on like the Jets and the Titans. I remember he was on the Jets for sure. I don't. Titan, I had him, and
1: then he moved to the Jets, and then just kind of played there for a few years, and then was never heard from again.
0: Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> well, I'm I'm all about bringing up random players from like the early two thousands on podcasts, so that is totally fine <laughs> by me. Um, so now your obsession to fantasy football has gotten to the point where you are working for Pro Football Focus. So could you tell us a little bit more about that opportunity, how that came about, and what you do for them?
1: Yeah, so, um, so basically as the years went on, I got involved in more and more leagues, and, uh, I'm still not, like, super committed, I'm in four main leagues, Uh, but one of them is like a two quarterback, one of them's a PPR, one of them's a pretty standard, like bros league, uh, side note, if you hear any baby noises, I've got a nine month old (laughs) downstairs, uh, so, uh,
0: Oh, that's totally um, fine. I, we'll talk about that as well later, but go on.
1: (laughs) But, uh, so, um, so yeah, over the years I would, I would kind of search online and got, I got more and more interested in, uh, uh, you know, football analytics, which is what led me to Twitter in the first place. I kind of got more and more into fantasy football Twitter. Um, and I actually found you through uh, following Matt Harmon, I think, uh, you know, it, uh, interaction with you guys a couple years back, uh, which was the first time I started following you and, uh, and, and all your good stuff that you put out there. Uh, and, uh but I think actually repeatedly what drew me to Pro Football Focus was, you know, I would go on uh, Fantasy Pros and that kind of stumbled across them and I was like, okay, they're doing some cool stuff, you know, with aggregating all of the rankings and actually uh, seeing accuracy, n- not just, you know, not just listen to him for the season and then nobody ever goes back. I, mean, I thought it was really interesting to kind of see who, uh, whose recommendations led to the most accuracy. And I think it was like four years in a row Well, where, the, where Mike Clay and uh, Jeff Ratcliffe were, you know, top of the heap every year, you know. And after, you can get lucky for a year, you know, maybe two, but after like, you know, four, you kind of go, okay, there's something that they're doing that is giving them some insight uh, that's clearly working. Uh, and just randomly, uh, they posted on Twitter this... Uh, off season that they were they were hiring new people and kind of when I when I saw that I, I, uh, I jumped on board as quickly as I could and was like I knew that they were they uh, looking for part time which is kind of the one of the things as as an actor is you know part time is key and flexibility is key for you know because they are always dropping auditions on you generally the day before you know a couple days if you're lucky so you kind of have to be available as possible so it seemed like a, you know a good fit and. Worlds uh, converging and everything—it's kind of fun. So, uh, so yeah, that was how I initially got involved. And uh, yeah, that that whole process really like that—you know—kind of next level. They uh, when I was uh, starting off the uh, interview process, they basically uh, they're interviewing you/slash training you uh, and doing the uh, player participation portion of their grading system, which you know after after that whole process, anybody who questions, you know, whether uh, their analytics are, you know, emotional or in, in any way based off of it, I'm like, I can tell you that the amount of work that goes into, you know, a single game's grading is just, it's pretty mind-blowing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have nothing but respect for what PFM does, um, especially with the new, like, while the game is going on grades, which are kind of intense, I mean, yeah. I still, I, yeah, I, 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 I kind of like to wait and just make sure that we're totally sure what we're seeing before we make any assumptions, but definitely um, the work that goes into it can't be denied, uh, no doubt. Yeah, that's thing,
1: like, you know, so I'm, I'm primarily doing uh, college games. Uh, as far as the speed with which you completely, you know, they have different processes that you go through that basically the the base data collection, player participation, and then the actual grading. And, uh, you know, I'm at a speed where I'm, I'm pretty much, I can do, uh, work on the college games because they've got a lot higher priority on some of the NFL stuff because their teams are actually paying for their services to get, to get the data, uh, but I'll tell you, the guys that are doing the real-time football stuff—I mean, it is—it's—it's it's impressive. I mean, they can do a full game within an hour of the game finishing, and it's—you know that, that, like there's that, there's a part of me that's like I, I like to think I can get there, and I hope so. But uh, you know, it is it is it is crazy that that, that the, 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 the ability to do a game in three hours just still kind of blows my mind. It's, it, it's a nice goal, but I'm like, wow, those guys are pretty impressive. <laughs>
0: yeah that's intense um so college uh who are you looking at mostly in college, and you don't have to give us actual ratings because I know that p f f is pretty quiet about that, which is cool, but are there any players who've really jumped out to you this year who you don't think people are talking about? Well, it's funny. I did uh,
1: the very uh, first game that I did uh, was uh, Texas, and they had like a really uh, mobile quarterback. I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head. Buckley. Um, but uh, it was Texas Tech. I think it was Texas Tech.
0: Oh, and,
1: You know, and and that's actually it's, it's funny that you say that because um, the combination of my background, uh, both my parents went to small. Liberal arts, you know, D three colleges. I went to a D three college in Minnesota, and I'm from Massachusetts. So, you know, the my ability. I always find that, like in sports in general, it, it makes a huge difference if you have a, a rooting interest in a team. You know, uh, for all the Boston teams, that part of you is like that's that's where you're from. That's where you know, the, the huge connection that goes beyond just the general like watching things from play to play. But so I didn't really have a college team to speak of, and you know, and I was like, well, yeah, sure, I could pick, like, OSU or somebody like that, uh, but it, that would be pretty lame to just kind of jump on the bandwagon in the, in the height of success, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, they've, they've kind of bounced me around a lot. But, uh, yeah, there have been a, a few guys. Been, so my connection generally comes when I'm grading uh, one of the games is kind of, I'll kind of see who pops off the tape. You know more so than than the players around them, and there've been a, a, a few guys uh, that uh, you know where I'm like, oh, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see where they end up, uh, you know, uh, slotting in in the draft and how they're viewed. Um, yeah, I got to look up that guy's the, the text. I think it's Texas State QB. Um, but my whole point there is he he actually graded out quite well and that's gone on to be by far the best game he's played all year. Mm-hmm. You know, he's nowhere near what he did that one game. So it's also like over time, you know, uh, it, it's hard from, from when, when you're switching around for to, to see a player that, that kind of pops and then go, okay, is he going to continue to do that? Because obviously that's what really is the, the equalizing factor of the guys that end up making that transition. Yeah, it
0: sounds about yeah. right. I mean, it really does – it's really variable game to game. And personally, the way that I like to watch prospects is I need to see traits no matter what. Like, even if it's terrible weather out and uh, you're having an awful game, I still need to see the athleticism and the ability to translate to the next level, even if you're having a bad game. If you don't show me that, then I really... uh, it does bother me because I think that you need to be competitive every single game, no matter what. And I think there are players who do do that. And yeah, so I can definitely agree on like the one game type thing. Uh, although at the very least, um, if the player performed well in that one game and then badly all the other games, you still see the flashes. So maybe it convinces you to, to take a closer look into why that player had such bad other games. Maybe there's more contextual stuff going on that you don't know about or that, is more evident on like a second viewing, so yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, so yeah. oh, it was
1: Tyler Jones, by the way. Uh, and it's uh, usually also they ask you at Pro Football Focus if you're you know you have a rooting interest in the team. They'll do their best to to get you to do that. But it's been kind of fun for me to kind of bounce around all over the place. I've done a couple teams twice. I think I've actually done uh, Texas uh, Texas State twice. But uh, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to it kind of to get a broader, because it's also really more of an introduction to college football for me than anything because of, you know, how how much more focused I was on the, the pro side of things.
0: Do you have any thoughts about the differences between college football and the NFL?
1: You know, I, it's interesting because, uh, you know, you always get somebody every every year where, or even every week practically where, you you know, somebody in the NFL is doing terribly. Cleveland Browns. You know, they're not... They're, not, uh, they're, they're getting there. They've you know, got a lot of draft capital coming up. They, they, they've got a lot of pieces that could, could turn out really well for them. But you always get somebody saying, oh, I bet you Alabama could beat uh, you know, Cleveland. And I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was basically like, the best college teams have, if they're lucky, five or six guys on that team who would ever play in the NFL. Just to give you an idea, they're like, they would get destroyed by any of the NFL teams that are out there. And, it you know, you kind of, I forget that perspective where, you know, you've got these guys, some of whom are going to be NFL stars, and in the D1 programs, obviously, they they get great recruiting. But no matter how how well they do, it's impossible to fill out a college roster with all people who, you know, who are going to play at the next level. So, you know, it's it's fun as far as watching it because obviously, you know, that contributes to generally a lot more high scoring games, uh, and the, the energy there is a lot is pretty fun uh, as a comparison to the NFL, where uh, um, just the pacing of it is uh, is pretty fun to watch, absent of having a, a you know specific team.
0: So we're getting toward the end of the season now for both college and the NFL, and I've been watching both this year. Do you have any? thoughts on who the best team in each of the leagues are and the NFL when you can be biased it's okay
1: yeah I mean uh, it's uh, as far as the, uh, the AFC it's just kind of been such a, a weird year as far as uh, well in the NFL in general you know I, I invested pretty heavily in Arizona uh, receivers and, and Palmer uh, and so that's kind of been a, a very strange thing for, you know, to see them go for, from such a juggernaut. Uh, you know, Palmer last year was PFF, PFF's uh, like highest rated above Brady, who had a, you know, obviously a pretty good year himself. And, uh, you know, it, it gives you kind of a perspective on, on how difficult it is even year to year, not just over a series of years, to, to maintain of that level of, of, of talent. Um, you know, I, 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 definitely believe in Oakland more than I did, uh, you know, earlier in the season, but, you know, cause it's too early, you, even you've seen too many times teams win five in a row and then, you know, everybody anoints them the next thing and then they lose the next four, you know, four or the next five. Um, but I think Oakland showing, uh, showing themselves to be absolutely a contender, uh, and 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 the Patriots obviously I uh, I think are their, their next biggest thing. Um next next biggest competitor. I mean I would think at this point that what it'll come down to is defense if you're talking about a the matchup of those two and uh kind of feel like the Patriots have a little bit of an edge there. You know, they're still kind of getting their footing after the Jamie Collins trade and, and figuring out their linebacker rotation and whatnot, but um, yeah, so so I, I'd, I'd say the Patriots in the AFC still, but I, I it's not like it would be crazy to think of of Oakland ended up ending up emerging the uh the winner there. And then in the NFC is another interesting one because you've got Seattle who you know played a great game like Super Bowl two point against the Patriots. And then come, come right out and, and lose, you know, last week. In, in and in, not to take anything away from Tampa Bay, who's kind of like a young ascending team. Uh, but I would have said them for sure. Uh, and then you've got to wonder in the end if their O-line is going to be able to hold up well enough to uh, to really get them, you know, all the way. Um, yeah, and it, it's just so weird that some of the, you know, like the, like Pittsburgh coming into the season, I was like, man, that's a scary team. Uh, and it's just the last couple years just, you know, as things things haven't seemed to work out with them over the course of the season, you know, to get them, uh, by the time the playoffs roll around, they, they haven't been at full strength, really, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that it comes down to the Patriots playing their game, and the annoying thing is that there are all these defenses in the AFC and in the NFC that if they screw the Patriots up just enough, I think that any of those teams could potentially win any given game against the Patriots. Uh, Yeah, and that's the the thing. You look like the
1: Broncos, you know. Like, you'd like to say they can't beat the Patriots with Simeon at quarterback, but that defense is so good that, you know, if they get the right game plan, like, you can absolutely see, you know, especially with those, you know, nausea-inducing deep passes in the – Logan Ryan's direction every one, once in a while, where you're just like, oh man, just enough with that.
0: <laughs> I mean, the Broncos beat the Patriots with Brock Osweiler last year.
1: No, oh, exactly. So exactly.
0: anything that, can yeah. happen. And I just totally yep. botched Brock Osweiler's name, and that's okay because he doesn't deserve to have his name pronounced correctly. <laughs> pronounced um, correctly. Yeah, I mean, yep. right now I would say the favorites in each, and I'm not going to say Super Bowl picks, but I'll say the favorites in each are the Patriots in the AFC, just because they? I do think they are the most complete team, and uh, the offense is playing really, really well. And on defense, I do think that they can get a little bit better. I'm hoping that they make some adjustments to not have slow linebackers covering C.J. Spiller in future games. As long as they can do that, they'll be fine. In the NFC, I think the best team is Seattle. But there are so many teams lurking. Like, the Giants are lurking there. The
1: Giants move of kind of, like, muddying the waters for, you know. They're
0: amazing on offense, and their defense is really good. I actually think that this might be, if the Patriots were to face this Giants team in the Super Bowl, or any team would face this Giants team in the Super Bowl, of the three Super Bowl teams that the Giants had, I think that this would be the best one. The very most complete one.
1: People kind of forget about, you know, the moves that they made and how well they're working out. You know, a big part of it, I'm sure, is JPP. Uh, you know, coming to to getting past the injury and being able to kind of get back to his his old ways, but uh, yeah, he's got some pretty good pass rush help opposite him. I could see, you know, and that's a scary thought because obviously, as Patriots fans, we've seen uh, the Giants when they're waiting for the playoffs to start firing on all cylinders. You know,
0: and they have so many weapons in offense. That offense, I mean, they can't run the ball, but in terms of passing the ball, they're they're pretty set. I don't know if they have any issues there. So yeah, I'm definitely not counting them out, and they beat Dallas this year already. The so. one thing I'll say
1: about the Pats that that goes beyond play is just their level of health is you know night and day compared to last year. Fingers crossed, there's you know a lot of weeks left, but if they can if they can stay healthy on the AFC side, I think that'll that'll be huge.
0: Yeah, health matters for every team. Um, we'll yeah. see what happens <laughs> with all of them. And then in college, who do you think's the best team in college football? Do you think it's Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Michigan? Even
1: you know it was fun watching that uh, the Michigan game. I mean, it, it, that was a, a pretty rare event. And again, uh, I, I have to profess my general ignorance of, of college ball. So more, so, I, I know more than I did at the beginning of the year, but it's still uh, very secondary as far as my skill level. But. Uh, yeah, I mean you gotta like uh, a lot of what uh Alabama's doing. Uh and and the OSU Michigan, they both showed pretty well defensively, I thought, uh, in that game. So I mean I, I guess I'd i I'd kinda lean towards uh Alabama, but uh and they've got they've got a great uh run game and uh I mean what 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 are your thoughts? I know you uh you are definitely uh aware of the college landscape pretty strongly.
0: Yeah, I am I think Alabama's the best team in the nation. I think that we're not talking enough about Jalen Hurts, their quarterback. Um, if he does this and he wins it all with them, that's equal to what Jameis did at Florida State. And granted, he yeah. might have a lot of talent around him, but that's something special, and that's something that I don't think that we can discount when we're talking about him moving forward. I mean, that this is a guy who might be – Uh, the next big thing a quarterback. And uh, Nick Saban found him. This is the first time that Alabama's really had a good quarterback. And it's just like one of those things where you combine that with the receivers. Ardarius Stewart's great. Uh, Calvin Ridley is really good. They have a pretty good running game. I think their offensive line's a little bit overrated, but they're fine. Like, they'll do the job. And then on defense, I mean – uh, Reuben Foster is one of my favorite players in the country. I, I love him. And the secondary is better than they were the past four years. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, Marlon Humphrey, Eddie Jackson. These are better pro prospects than any player to come out of Alabama's secondary since, like, Mark Barron. Um, they have so much talent, and I think that they should be prohibitive favorites. I do think that Washington is an interesting team because they have a lot of speed on defense and they can hit the big play on offense. I'm just not convinced that Jake Browning is amazing. Uh, he needs to play really well for them to have a chance. Ohio State um, deserved to beat Michigan in my opinion, so I'll say that.
1: Yeah, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, that it was happened. pretty bad.
0: Without a,
1: without a dog in the fight, I was like, man, I would be furious.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought they deserved to beat them. I think that they have one of the best offensive players in the country and Curtis Samuel, who is going to be, if possible, a better pro than college player. So that's someone who, in your dynasty leagues, if you can draft college players, you should draft Curtis Samuel because he's really good. Um, and I think their defense is pretty good, but I just can't see them beating Alabama. Even though Urban's done it before, I think Urban knows how to play them. From a talent perspective, unless Urban pulls something great out, uh, it's going to be tough to do. Yeah, and yeah. Sure. I mean, I don't even know. It's not, you know. Yeah, and then, um, I mean, all the other teams that are really contenders, like Clemson, uh, I don't really see it right now. Uh, Deshaun Watson has been a disappointment this year for me. I'm not liking what I'm seeing from a a a evaluative perspective. Um, I think he's regressed. I think he scrambles too much and I don't think he's playing as well as he was last year when they also lost to Alabama. So I'm not sure he's going to be able to do it this year either. So I guess we'll see. Um, yeah, I am going to transition now. We're going to go over to the second part of this podcast and we're going to go over to the more part and we're going to talk about all of the things that you do because you do a lot of things. And the thing that really jumped out to me and the first thing on your bio is that you're an actor. And I just, I mean, I've had actors on the show before, uh, Ben, I saw, I mean, Ben Atana had him on the podcast multiple times, but I saw him perform, um, a couple of weeks ago, which was kind of cool because I know him as a person and then you sort of see him turn into this, a very different version of himself and it was kind of jarring, um, but I have yeah. a ton of respect for actors in general I, I know it's a it's a tough it's a tough road to haul and it's amazing you're really following your dream and you can do so many amazing things um why don't you tell me what inspired you to become an actor
1: <laughs> it's uh it's a slightly uh, i don't want to say embarrassing but in that territory uh, you know so I was a huge uh, Obsessed with the show ER when I was in high school. I was, you
0: know, back before DVRs. I would trip. literally
1: set a VHS tape to record it. Not this. I I literally saw every episode of ER. That's the embarrassing part. Um, you know, very very entertaining show. But I don't think I put it up there with Breaking Bad in the end. But uh, ironically, when I went to college, uh, I was pre-med because I through that convinced myself that oh yeah, I want to be a doctor. And uh, a year into my classes. Where one of them was an acting class because I knew it was something I wanted to be able to do. Uh, I was—I found out pretty quickly when organic chemistry ran or came around. I was like, "Yeah, this is not uh, this is not going to be my fit in life." Uh, but uh, you know, it's funny. I, I, I was involved a lot uh, in theater in high school. I, I did—we the, the, had a musical every year, and I was a singer in a band and. The, that kind of got dragged in my freshman year. The the music uh, director was like, you're auditioning for this. And I was like, "Uh, uh, okay, I guess, sure. Uh, And we did. West Side Story was the first thing I ever did. Uh, But uh, yeah, and as as time went on, I just was like, in college, uh, got more and more involved. And then uh, my senior year, I spent a semester abroad in London. And uh, that was kind of the point where I was like, Aside from this being something I really love to do, uh, I was getting some encouragement, like, you should consider doing this as a job, and I was like, oh, well, that would be amazing. So, uh, yeah, so I finished up college and uh, moved directly to New York uh, and just started kind of doing it in New York. Uh, Got some successes here and there, but um, I would find that uh, whenever I went out for something, uh, in theater, uh, I would see other people, you know, and, and the people that ended up getting the jobs, specifically theater-wise, were people with uh, degrees from one of the better uh, grad school uh, programs in the country, uh, which, you know, pretty much consists of there's, – there's a bunch, and it's arguable who's the best and all that. But, you know, Yale, NYU, uh, UCSD, ACC are definitely among, you know, the more prestigious – Uh, master's degree conferring programs so uh, so yeah it's an interesting process which I don't know if you're uh, you know interested in in this aspect of it but uh, um, essentially you prepare two monologues one is a Shakespeare monologue and the other is whatever the heck you want it to be and you like work either solo or you work with somebody that's helping you out and like get these two monologues to be as good as they possibly can be And you go into a room with, you know, the head of the school and, like, two other people and do your two two, two two-minute monologues that you've been preparing for months for and then leave. And then they post a piece of paper to see, you know, who got called back to go do the callback process. And then they take, you know, at the time, ACT was now eight students per class, but it was 16 students, you know, and it's just like, it's crazy. It's it's like every... uh, dramatization you see about, you know, dance schools or, you know, any of that kind of thing where it's, it, it, it is just uh, so hyper competitive for so few slots. Uh, and so I was lucky enough to get into ACT and move to San Francisco for three years. And, uh, you know, acting is interesting too, because unlike a lot of jobs, there is no, you know, you do A, you do B, and then you have C. it it, ironically uh, successful actors all the time doing Q and A's or, you know, they always get asked like, how do I become an actor? And it's just, you kind of have to chuckle because it's like, (laughs) if I were to draw you a roadmap, nobody could read it because it just, there is no logic. There's no, you know, this equals this. It's like, you have to find your own way. Uh, And so my way was grad school. It was a pretty amazing experience. You know, three years of hyper-talented staff, Uh, and in my class it was 16 people, and you basically are in class for everything, for, like, voice, speech, you know, you have to learn the international phonetic alphabet for accents. You are doing a play constantly, so you'd be in classes from morning till 5, go get dinner, and then start rehearsing for whatever play that you were doing. You know, so it's, like, intense... uh, (laughs) 12-hour days, and you you can't let up, like because you know you can go from thing to thing when you're working, and nobody's there to say, well, that looked really impressive, except that's what you always do, and well, that's not interesting to us, kind of thing. So uh, that kind of uh, conservatory experience was pretty amazing for me. Uh, yeah, and then I went back to New York. Uh, the craziest thing about all this is when you finish uh, in a grad program, also in an undergrad conservatory program, but Uh, you do kind of a a showcase where, again, you prep what's usually uh, like one scene uh, and do it in front of all the industry that they've invited. Uh, You do one in New York and one in L.A. uh, And, uh, you know, that's it. You go out, you do your scene, and then all of your classmates who you spent three years with, uh, you know, just busting your ass trying to get better, are sitting waiting by their phones to see if they get a call from one of the agents that uh, that's on the other line. And at that moment, after all this prep, you know, you feel like that's the end all be all. Like if, if I don't get an agent, it's, uh, that's it. Uh, like I'm devastated. You know, it's such a huge setback. And we did the, uh, the showcase in my case. And I got zero calls on either coast for, from a single agent. Uh, I got, uh, some interest from, uh, you know, some theater companies and, and specific people. The Rude Mechanicals in New York is a bunch of uh, ACT grads founded it. it was pretty – that did pretty well for themselves for a while, quite a while there. Uh, I'd worked with them afterwards. But uh, interestingly enough, I, the guy that they had come talk to us uh, during that whole process in New York was uh, an actor named Omar Metwali, um, and – what he had to say during this right before we did our showcase or the day before was he was in the same boat. He literally got no calls, no agent coming out of grad school and uh, you know, to to, to have him say, listen, just relax. It's because ultimately in any of these situations, so many of the people who even you were in class with or in the class above you or below you, you know, people will sign with huge agents right out of the gates and then, they're not acting in five years and that there's no rhyme or reason for, you know, the importance level as much as you built it up uh, to what what's going to end up happening in life and such as life in any business, obviously. But uh, but so, yeah, so that's uh, that uh, got when I was in New York, I, you know, I was kind of like bummed for a little bit and then just started going, OK, I'm going to get out there, uh, you know, meet some agents and uh, manage to uh, lock on with uh, an agency called CESD. And uh, she saw me do a little thing, audition for her and said, you know, how do you not have an agent? And I was like, I don't know. You tell me. And she was hmm. like, well, now you do. And, uh, and luckily enough, the first thing she sent me on, uh, I booked, which ironically was for Sony with uh, Peyton Manning in it. So it was a uh, world colliding yet again. There.
0: <laughs> oh, you have to go on. Tell us that story.
1: Yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy. It was, uh, you know, they, I don't know if you remember, it played a bunch when they first, it was a guy in a store who walks in and, and I'm, I played the small part, I played like the salesman who goes and presses a button and this like table pops out of the wall and it's like uh, uh, JV and um, and Peyton Manning and one of them had like Justin Timberlake in it and they're all like joking about like, you should, you know, sports are shot on a Sony, you should watch them on a Sony.
0: So yes, I do <laughs> that remember was this my... commercial actually. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they did a few of them after that and like, you know, different stuff, but um, you know, commercials have since then kind of been my biggest certainly financially as an actor to 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 be able to kind of keep keep trucking, keep doing it. And uh yeah, I've done uh I've done a bunch of those since uh since then uh and then I did another one uh that was kind of crazy for when Sprint was like merging with Nextel when that was a thing. Uh which the, the craziest one I've ever done where the entire commercial was me, and walking around, I wake up, and, like, all, it, the whole thing was, you have all these choices, and it was this crazy huge 1000000 multi-million dollar budget, you know, where I'm in a jet pack at one point, and, like, it was just the scope, of it, it just kind of blew my mind. Uh, and it was after doing that that I was like, okay, I kind of wanted to be in L.A. for a while. i have been in New York for a while, and I kind of... Uh, said, hey, if this, this isn't the best time to go. I'll, I don't know what's gonna be, and uh, kind of made the move. And yeah, just I've been I've been lucky to kind of keep keep getting after it. Certainly commercially over the the last uh, shoot, I've been here since oh uh, six, so ten years now, which is crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. And I'm gonna have to rewatch that Sprint Nextel commercial now. At least I'll have to find it somewhere. Um, I find yeah. it fascinating. I say, yeah. <laughs> No, you can go.
1: No, no, I said I've, I've got to send you some. I've got, I think I've got links to stuff from way back. So.
0: Oh yeah, I, I I'll take a look. I I did watch your reel on IMDb. Was it on oh, there? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Also, All right. something I definitely need to update. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> I find it really interesting, though, that um, it does seem like it's a little bit more academic than I thought it was going to be. The art of acting. I always thought it was. Sort of like one of those things like writing for a lot of people. I know that um, we've had people on here who've done journalism school before. We've had people on here who literally just fell into it through practice, like Ty Schalter, um, which that episode, if you want to write for a living, you need to listen to it. Uh, I think it's episode seven of this podcast. But he came on and talked about how he just wrote, 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 wrote and then eventually he got the opportunities and he was able to build on those. Um, so that was really fascinating to me because I know that – I know certain people who are interested in acting or are looking for acting. And I, I that, that was interesting to me that it's a little bit more structured and academic and rigorous than um, other disciplines. So that was cool. Yeah.
1: It's definitely one of like the two the two main roads because it looks it, like I said – no roadmap, I mean, there's absolutely people who, you know, drop out of high school and are like, oh, I want to do some acting and just become superstars, you know, like, there is no, uh, nothing saying that you have to do what I did, but I definitely feel like it was, it was the right path for me, you know, I responded really well to the the, the training side of it and the academia side to it, so, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to, you know, and, and also knowing the people that I do both from people from grad school and, and a bunch of actors in L.A. over the years. Oh, I should mention my brother is also an actor, uh, lived in New York. He was a math major before he was an actor. My parents were like, what the hell did we do wrong? <laughs> why, why is this happening? Uh, but, uh, and he's done really well for himself uh, uh, in uh, on Broadway. He was actually um, – he's done a few things. He was in uh, Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, the one that uh, with Robin Williams that was – Probably oh, yeah. disturbingly long it was ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know where that is.
1: Um but yeah, my, my Brad Fleischer, he's a, he's done really well well from self as well. But between the two of us, you know, you see you you, you gather around a, a large group of people and if you had every single one of them tell their story about how they got into acting, you would you would not find two of the same stories in the bunch, you know.
0: Yeah, no, that's I that, that's really cool. And I think that's um a good way to think about things, that we are all on our own paths and we figure things out and figure things out. uh, None of them are going to be exactly the same. So you've had a lot of gigs. You've been in a lot of commercials, a lot of television shows, a lot of other things. Which actor or actress would you say, and it can be someone who, uh, let's say someone who most of us would know or a good amount of us would know, are there any actors or actresses that just when you acted with them you were just sort of like, "Shit, this person's amazing."
1: Uh, I mean, absolutely. Overall, uh, my two that that I have not had the pleasure of working with, but uh, Gary Oldman, I think, is like just next level, and obviously Daniel Day Lewis, like those two guys are just, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it's denigrating to be like there on the, you know. They're the Picassos in my mind of, of their artistic field where I'm okay saying that they are both better than I would ever be. so uh, uh, generally speaking those guys and then uh, for people I've worked with, um, yeah I mean it's tough to say it's 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 fascinating uh, you know your perception of uh, of somebody versus uh, getting to know them and, and how quickly you realize that you know they're just another human being like anybody else, and, you know, that, that their personality kind of informs how their career ends up uh, going, you know, like, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the feeding, the type of roles that they end up getting cast in, um, yeah, shoot, I have to think about that for for as far as uh, who, who, who I've worked with, that would be the end-all, be-all, I mean, there've been plenty of people that have, I'm just kind of like, all right, well, they're doing their job, so I kind of got to step it up, you know. <laughs> Um, maybe I would say, uh, uh, guy that, uh, that I worked with in New York. I was, uh, working, I was understudying a few of the roles on a play called Dog Sees God years ago. Uh, and it was a kind of a, uh, satirical take on it. The Peanuts characters had all grown up. And, uh, I remember just being oh God, really, really amazing. Uh, uh, Tate Ellington, who kind of played, uh, Van, who was like, a the stoner, and, you know, was a uh, Linus grown-up, essentially. And just being really impressed with him, he's such a nice guy, and, and just, yeah, you know, seeing the, com- the comedic talent that he had, but he's kind of blown up as of recently. Uh, he's done, done more and more as the years have gone on, and I've been like, yeah, I could, I, I'm not shocked that that happened for him, because, uh, you know, you can kind of, you could see... The work and the passion and, and, and the fact that I'm sure people love working with him because he's just a good dude. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, he was in Quantico. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah.
1: He was a regular in Quantico.
0: That's sick. Um, no, that actually, I've not heard of that play before, and I just looked it up, and I now really want to see it because it seems amazing.
1: Yeah, if you ever get uh, a chance to see <laughs> the production, the guy who wrote it, uh, Bert Royal, he re- and went on to uh, – write, um, uh, Easy A, uh, really funny, uh, movie with, uh, uh, uh Emma Jesus Stone, Alita.
0: yeah, no, that movie's awesome.
1: Yeah, and, uh, he's a really, really good writer, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty brilliant script, uh, and, uh, yeah, if, they, if you ever see a production of it, definitely check it out, it's a fun, fun play.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. Um, so, Now let's go into Jeff's place, because I know it's your most recent venture, you sort of told us the story of how it was conceived. How much fun was it to shoot?
1: You know, it's, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's really interesting, because part of, uh, you know, your description of of me as a jack-of-all-trades, it it, it has come from, you know, as an actor, if You know, probably 1% of the people out there are working nonstop and making enough as an actor for that to be their sole source of income. So you're always uh, dealing with how do I make enough money to supplement whatever money comes in from acting without keeping me from continuing to audition and act. And, you know, that tends to be bartending and and waiting tables. uh, And I'm just beyond awful. But I think I was the worst waiter in the history of the world. Like, I would just be like, finish a shift having screwed up multiple orders and like shaking like a leaf and being like, okay, this, is, I need to figure out something else. And, uh, you know, which is actually how I started. I, I started a company that doing uh, web design after years of kind of going from that kind of work. And I did some investment bank work when I was in New York. And, um, so it, it's interesting that that, so that kind of feeds into, I need to find the ideal side job for acting. Uh, to go along with that, when it comes down to the jobs that you're getting, uh, you you just literally can't sit on your hands and wait for that perfect opportunity to come your way. And I feel like every actor knows this, but it's a lot harder in practice to actually say, OK, I'm going to create something uh, because of. The fact that I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get paid for it. I don't know how much time it's going to take. I don't, you know, if I can't write well enough, we need to make sure that the writing's on point and we have enough talented people to actually execute the, the vision. And it's funny because, uh, in the midst of all this, of course, I, I just had a, a baby in February. And I decided that oh that's not that stressful so I'm going to start working for Pro Football Focus continue building websites and I'm going to try and you know produce with two of my buddies a several episode biggest scope of anything we'd ever done before show and uh, uh, yeah it's, it's uh, it, it was kind of crazy as far as uh, the whole inception of it and the shooting of it I mean it, the most fun I've ever had shooting anything because you know we were like I said we, we kind of Uh, got together from the beginning, and it it was this, like, ultimately collaborative process to come up with the idea, and uh, Jeff Galfer, my friend who plays, obviously, Jeff in Jeff's Place, was the one who sat down and ended ended up uh, hammering out uh, the writing on all the episodes. But because we were all such a huge part of its creation, we felt pretty free to to stick with what we created, but also to change things on the fly. And to add stuff that in the moment, we're like, you know, this actually would work better than what we had written or this would be really fun. So it, it always felt like no matter what, we got to, we, we'd we show up on set for that day for whatever episode we were shooting. And uh, as much as it's a stressful endeavor because of the limited amount of time when you, your, your people that you hired and stuff to, to get everything done, it always felt like stuff was going to come up and stuff was going to happen that we hadn't planned for and that ultimately is and ended up being some of the best stuff. Uh in the show, I think, like um uh, in the teleportation episode, you know we originally it was a totally different idea about how that was actually gonna happen, and we just randomly were like, wouldn't it be funny if it was fairly painful for everybody to teleport and then if everybody had a different uh, reaction to what that is when they're doing it, you know and uh you know that kind of stuff is just so much fun when 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 you know that you're 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 kind of executing the vision that you had at the beginning.
0: And yeah, so in the show, I don't want to spoil anything too much. I don't think this is a key plot point. You're in a wheelchair. Yeah. So where did that idea come from? Because in real life, I don't believe that you need a wheelchair.
1: No, I do not. And that's the other thing is because it's a, a fairly visible, well, hopefully very visible uh, series as it comes out. And a lot of people who aren't familiar with me would have no idea that I'm not in a wheelchair, especially considering there's a the joke where somebody because of the nature of my character is questioning whether I actually am and my response is, no, I am. Uh, it was actually, uh, so from, from uh, Jeff's writing, uh, he had done a sketch, uh, actually way back in grad school, uh, with him and his brother Rufus, who was in a wheelchair, and it was like a physical comedy sketch that bordered on, I don't think it was ever offensive because it wasn't taking advantage of, of, uh, you know somebody who's disabled or anything, but it was it was poking fun at that the whole situation where he goes on an audition and he's got his brother in the background who starts mouthing the words of the audition from his wheelchair and it just continues on and crescendos into the, you know the end of the sketch was him being in, put in the wheelchair by the guy who was in the wheelchair and being wheelchaired off and uh, uh, So I, I definitely think there was echoes of that in his decision here. Uh, you know, from some of the, the, the pieces that Jeff's kind of it, – it, his, his interesting, twisted, uh, strange and amazing imagination. Uh, but I think specifically he was like, yeah, I he – he wanted everybody who's in – I can also spoil the uh, – well, I guess I won't. Uh, I was going to say I could, I could spoil one of the, the overarching plot points, but, you know, I, I, I don't want to do that. So what, what I will say is that it, it's kind of uh, his representation – of a, of, a, of an individual he knows in real life, and in this fantasy world of his show, he's kind of made him from the person he is into an expert who knows nothing about what he's talking about and is physically incapacitated. And it's it's, it's all about you know his psyche and what he's done to to these people in, in his in the world of Jeff's Place.
0: <laughs> yeah, and as we said earlier, show dot com, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the link for the show, yeah, right? right. It's, it's on Vimeo as well, but we kind of put them all together there.
0: Yeah, check it out. It's it's pretty funny. If you like, um, and I told you this on Twitter, but if you like Don't Hug Me, I Am Scared, which if you haven't seen, you should see, because it's really good. Um so good. You will like the show. If you, if you like just like surreal Tim and Eric type stuff, you'll like the show. It's really, it's funny. Uh, I, I was like, is this going to be funny? And then I watched it, and I thought it was funny, so... That's good.
1: Like, I hope this isn't terrible, because that's going to be
0: a tough <laughs> It's It's just off-putting enough to be, like, awkward funny. It's good. Um, yeah. Yeah, last thing. So you just had a baby. Was this your I first did. baby? It's... Say again? Was this your first? Yeah, first kid. So how's that been?
1: Um. You know, it's it's really funny. when, when you, Whenever you talk to somebody who uh, doesn't have a kid and about the idea of what having a kid is – Uh, you know, you're the person who's had a kid is just like, "Uh, you know, what it's it's crazy, but I'm not even gonna bother. And I never fully got that in in some interactions I had with people in the past. And having had a kid, I'm like, you know, you can tell somebody that that first four months is like D Day, like it's you know, it is so insane, but until you've actually experienced it, it's kind of even pointless because as much as you can academically understand it, like until you get home from the hospital, and it's basically like, oh, I'm responsible for this life. Oh, Jesus, I'm responsible for this life. <laughs> like, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it definitely uh, it, it re- rearranges your thought patterns, and I think was part of, you know, the motivation for me going, okay, I need to move things forward. Like, yeah, I like doing web- websites, but I love fantasy football, and if I ultimately can get into that world and make a little side money writing about fantasy football – that would be even better than doing websites, you know, kind of keeping refining what it is that supplements the acting income and, you know, having him was basically huge motivation to get, okay, well, it's time for you to, uh, you know, put the pedal to the metal and and, on all fronts and uh, kind of see what comes out of it. But he's great, man. He's uh, I I, I keep uh, my Twitter is like 99%, uh, you know, fantasy football related and 1% acting stuff as it comes out. And then, uh, but all Facebook is just littered with baby photos. He's a, he's a pretty cute little kid, and uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's fun. He's got a sense of humor already at nine months, which is uh, which is key.
0: That's good. So, so he yeah. laughs a lot. He's a laugher?
1: Yeah, like it, it's it's weird to me that he has a sense of humor because I'm like you you would think you had to understand you know what's normal in order to laugh at something that's abnormal, but you know he he he's laughing all the time and you know everyone a lot of people you, you don't know when it's your own kid you know you're like I think he's funny and I think he's got a great personality but I'm his dad so of course I do but uh you know we get a ton of feedback from people who are like that's the happiest kid i've ever met <laughs> you know, so what's well, uh, yeah I, I hope he's the
0: happiest kid and you know but I'm, I'm just surprised. It sounds like you're pretty happy. You haven't lost that much sleep. Like, that's the thing all my friends who have had kids say, or anyone who I know who's had a kid. Uh, they just can't sleep at all.
1: Yeah, and we've been really lucky. A, I mean, my wife has been beyond incredible because when when, when she's still – when the mom's still breastfeeding, there's not that much the dad can do when he wakes up at 1 in the morning. Uh, you know, but – She's, he's already got, he's way ahead of his, uh, all of his marks. He's like at, uh, four months was the size of a 13 month old child, which oh, if wow. you see me, will be what? <laughs> like, wait, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> he's like linebacker size already. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty cool that, that, that she essentially kind of took over the overnight feeding uh, for most of the, the early years, and, and then it got early years, early months. Uh, it's it, not you know, been got that one, long. Yeah, but it, it got to the point where, you know, we, we she stopped, and he has eight teeth, but that was the point of his size, so she was like, okay, not breastfeeding anymore, because yikes, and uh, right around like five months, we kind of transitioned where we're kind of both trading off, but we've been really lucky because he sleeps through the night, which is absolutely not a given for any kid under a year old, so that's that's been huge, and uh, it's, it's interesting too because you know a lot of a lot of times uh, you've got the dad working at regular 9 to 5, uh, and sometimes the mom as well. But in our situation, my wife's a wine rep, so she goes out to Pasadena and, and uh, sells wine uh, during the day, and I'm home, so we've got a sitter a couple days a week. But I've got a couple days where it's just Tuesdays and Thursdays is just me and him, and that's been a, a pretty eye-opening experience as well as far as like you know <laughs> what it takes to 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 be a dad and, and and take care of uh you know this this always smiling and giggling little little kid it's been pretty pretty awesome
0: that's great that that's happy so anyone who wants to have a kid hopefully you have a good experience like Andrew did although it does sound like from what you said uh that this kid is secretly 5 years old and my wife said that the other
1: day. She was like, did, we, did I just have him in the womb, like, you know, several extra months and wasn't aware of it? Like, I was like, I don't know.
0: Wait, so he, when was he born? In March?
1: He was actually, believe it or not, as much as we tried to avoid it, was born February 29th.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That's good. Yeah, be- and we went to
1: the hospital the day before. We were like, This is not happening. This is not happening. He was in labor for like thirty plus hours, and we have a leap year baby. Right?
0: So yeah, I mean, he's going to be the kid who in school is going to be teased for not having an actual birthday. Have you decided exactly. when you're going to celebrate his birthday yet?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. We we got a lot of different input from people who were, I guess, they're called officially leaplings if they're born on the uh, leap leap year. Uh, but on February twentieth, but I think we're leaning towards getting him a really big, cool coin. And he's too young to flip it now, but we'll do it for him. But as time goes on, flip the coin and heads is February 28th and tails is is March 1st. I think that would be a a fun way of uh, settling that
0: every year. I think that's a great idea. I love that. Right? That would be a really cool way to do it. Have like one side that says like 28th, one side that says the first. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: Somebody told us, they were like, oh, it depends when he was born because if it's past noon, it's the first. And I was like, no, you are just you can't put any rules (laughs) for us on Monday. Someone's born on the most bizarre day of the year. you got to just let people deal with it as they do. <laughs>
0: so. I would totally agree. That was great. I'm so happy we got to end on talking about Leap Year. We don't talk about Leap Year enough in this podcast, and, and damn it, we we're talk, we're talked about it at least once this year, so that's good. Um, <laughs> one in the. <laughs> yeah, A- Andrew Fleischer, man of many talents, man of many things. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you so much, Ethan. It was a pleasure. I'm really glad you had me on.
0: Yeah, and jeffsplayshow.com. Check out all the episodes. They're really short. They're really good. Um, they're really funny. So check them out. That is. Oh, and a quick,
1: quick side note: if you haven't seen it, I did the. There's a trailer for the last Call of Duty. That was no gameplay in it. The whole thing is a trailer for the the game uh, called. The, if you look up Call of Duty Ember, it's got like 12 million views on YouTube. But I'm the uh, Edward Snowden esque whistleblower in that. Uh, but aside from my performance, it's a kind of an awesome little short that they did that that's still out there. So
0: <laughs> Okay, check that out for Call of Duty as well. Um, that yeah. is it for this first-ever edition. Well, not the first-ever podcast I've done, but the first-ever edition of Football and More. So if you have any thoughts, any feedback, questions, hit me up on Twitter. I'm also looking for more guests, more stories to tell. I want to mix it up. I want to talk to people who do interesting things. So if you know of anyone, if you want to volunteer – Uh, Let me know. Happy to talk to you and see if we can get you on the show. Until next time, though, I'll talk to you later.